Hello and welcome to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. All right, you guys, welcome back to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am sitting next to my husband, Nick. He's here because we're going to do a Q&A. I, a few weeks ago in my stories, I had asked, you know, every Wednesday I always do a Q&A, and I had asked you guys to ask some questions, and so you did. And so I am just so excited to answer those, and Nick is here because he's co-hosting with me and to help me kind of ask or answer the questions he's going to ask them, I'm going to answer them. And before we get started, I just want to say, so, 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 so excited. I just got done recording part of the course that's going to be included in my membership, which is called Your Ultimate Health Guide. And it's really all the things that I'm seeing in practice people fall fall short on and just is going to be kind of like kind of like a perfect overhaul of everything that the membership is going to give you and more. And I'm, I wanted to have that course just so people could walk through that. Always be reminded of the basics of all aspects of health, not just diet, not just lifestyle, but all of it. And so that's exactly what that course in my membership is going to include. My membership is launching soon, the Alpha Health membership, where it's a place where you can be empowered to be the alpha of your health, just like this on the podcast, just like on my social media, just like when you work with me one-on-one. But this is just kind of going to be like, you know, all my free content with my social media, with my podcast, with my email list, you know, I have all of that. I've got, you know, that's kind of tier one of how I can help. Tier two is definitely the membership. And then tier three obviously is my one-on-ones, my patients and clients. So I'm, I'm really just excited to kind of offer this, be able to dive into a lot of different things, work through different protocols and just, and really have a place where, you know, you guys can truly we can, we can not only learn, but we can also have a community. The platform that I'm using is very cool. You can add your Instagram links. You can kind of make it your own profile so that we are in our own community, can connect with people who are very like-minded and willing to learn and wanting to just be the ultimate best in their health. And so I think that's just honestly what I'm most excited about. So anyways, before we get into the questions, again, I just want to reiterate and how just say how thankful I am for you guys for listening to the show, supporting me. And I'm just so excited to have you guys, whoever wants to join the membership, be a part of that. Cause it's really going to be incredible. Um, one also quick reminder before we get into the episode, you know, I am a doctor, but I'm not your doctor. So this is not medical advice. When I'm answering these questions, I'm more just trying to point you guys in general directions and to be able to kind of help navigate some things that you guys I know are struggling with or have questions about. So just as a reminder on that, and just for this podcast in general, I never want you to take it as medical advice. Always, you know, ask, ask your provider before implementing things. This is just more of like a resource for you. So Without further ado, Nick is going to read a review, and then we're going to get started. Sure. All right, so this one is from Summer Girl 930 Gave you five stars. Look at that. Uh, the title was Best Podcast for Valuable Information, and she said, I had an initial appointment with Dr. Haley earlier this year. Uh, she has a wealth of knowledge to share with many. She is relatable, humble, and encouraging. Dr. Haley always wants what is best for others, and it shines through this podcast. Aww, you. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much. I love 
having the feedback and I love also when people that I'm working with, they either find me through the podcast or they just continue to dive into the podcast to just kind of take note on their wellness journey. So I'm so excited about that. All right. So are we ready to get into these questions? I am. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Gosh, (laughs) there's so many. I don't even know where I want to start. So let's do this one first. Sure. Is there anything I can do to repel mosquitoes without chemicals? That's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. And I'm actually looking out at the plant that we have out on the deck. It's a citronella plant, and I also have citronella essential oils. So I make a homemade bug spray. I use citronella essential oil. I use lemongrass. I use lavender. And I just use water. And then I just top it off with maybe some tea tree oil too. But citronella is really, really great. Uh, we have a citronella plant, like I said, out on our back patio, but I also just read something really cool that certain bugs are kind of repelled depending on like the health of your blood. I don't know that I, I have to do more research on that, but I did see that recently, but anyways, yeah, citronella is great. You can get it in, in, in an essential oil and make your own bug spray. It works great. And I highly recommend that. Cool. Another question what is the root cause of seasonal allergies and how to fix? So I made a post about this back in April, I believe, because I was seeing a lot of people struggle with it on social media. And, you know, I know you've struggled with it, Nick, you know, and I've, I've even struggled with it in the past too. And so when I really started learning about root causes, I learned a lot that the liver tends to really be a big root cause, like liver congestion tending to be a root cause behind seasonal allergies because, when we are, they, in, the, in Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine looks at spring as the time of the liver because that's really when we need to support that organ. But when it becomes kind of bogged down, we can have certain things like allergies kind of come up. So I tend to see that as a big root cause. Gut health also really goes into that as well because when your gut is inflamed, especially with food allergies, I think about with gut stuff, like food sensitivities aren't normal or aren't common. They're sorry, they're not normal. You shouldn't have them, but many people do. And that's just because of gut inflammation and compromised gut. And at some point, you know, I'm sure we're all more sensitive to some things, but that should just not show us that it's necessarily the food is the problem is that your gut is the problem. So that's more food stuff. But with seasonal allergies, you definitely want to look at the liver. I had a lot of great posts on that. Just go back in my feed. I talk about a lot of great foods like nettle, green tea, eating liver, doing castor oil packs, all of those types of things, making sure you're sweating to kind of support that. But I don't, I didn't really notice any seasonal allergy stuff this year. Did you? You know, a little bit. Not bad, yeah. though. Not bad. Um, okay, let's see. What else do we want to do? Do you work with clients who have ulcerative colitis? I do. I do. Um, okay. All right. Next question. Referring to the question about sweating, is it good slash bad to sweat easily? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's bad to sweat easily. If some people are just sweating on like their hands or their feet and they're not sweating in other parts, that's something we might want to just consider thinking about. But no, sweating easily is not a bad thing. I'm thinking of that right now because we are both sweating. (laughs) Um, but no, sweating easily is definitely not a bad thing. I know you're all about real food, but what would you say, er, wait, hold on. R, probably. Oh, what would you say are optimal macro ratios? So that's actually, a, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I think that everybody's different. There are just some people out there who are just going to tend to do better 
higher fat, lower carbs. There's people out there who tend to do better, you know, more moderate to high carbs, lower fat. I mean, the, the, I can't tell you necessarily what ratio you should be eating. I think the base is obviously whole food first. Um, and I think when we do eat whole food first and we're not eating processed foods, we find what works best for us because you're not, you, you know what tastes good and you're able to feel full and satisfied. But again, I, I actually, I talked quite about this in the bio-individual aspect of diet in my, your ultimate guide to health within my membership and helping you find what foods feel good for you so that you can find what the best ratio is because I've worked with people on all spectrums and I mean, what works for them is not going to work for me and vice versa. And we're all very, very different. So that's kind of my answer to that. Um, How do you feel about working with people who are vegan? Good question. This is a good question. And I'm not anti-vegan. I'm never going to question somebody's morals ever. I have worked with quite a few uh, vegan people. I really have. And I just really, a lot of what we focus on is healthy plant-based foods. Um, and really the biggest thing that I struggle with, with my vegans is their protein is because it's, it can be challenging. And when you are vegan supplementation has to be on point and it has to be diligent because they're, you're missing so many nutrients that you can get in animal products. But I definitely work with people who are vegan. I have nothing against it. And if anything, I like being able to show them how they can support themselves with these really, really essential nutrients that they otherwise might not be getting in food. What helped you start your gut health journey, advice for those who want to start? So I would definitely start with the basics of eating real food. Are you eating more out of your pantry or are you eating more fresh things out of your fridge? Because our gut loves real food. Our gut does not like fake food. And even if it's healthy fake food, even if it's things that are cereal or, you know, things that are packaged and heavily processed, they really tend to damage the gut. Stress also damages the gut heavily. And that stress can be in the form of obviously mental or emotional stress. It can be in the form of um, environmental stress. I've been seeing a lot of mold or and Lyme and parasite cases that that's a huge stressor to the body. And you're going to have a lot of issues with your gut if you have those underlying things. So obviously that's more of a complex thing. The whole real foods is, is obviously the, the basis and the start and anti-inflammatory foods is incredibly important. So I would definitely start there if you're not already, you know, watch out for the inflammatory vegetable oils, watch out for foods that make you feel bloated and make you feel puffy. Because again, although bloating is common, it's not normal. Okay. Go ahead. That one? Sure. Sure. So many symptoms can be caused by so many different issues. How do you know where to start? That's a great question. And I think, I think that's where when you can work with someone to kind of help you peel things back because there's a lot of people that I come to that I, on their, our first call, I'm seeing, I, I'm, I'm coming up with a list of things that we need to do, but I can't give them that entire list in just one appointment because you, we have to peel things back and we have to start with what's most important and kind of go from there. And so, you know, that's, I definitely would recommend working with someone just so that you can help pinpoint what's most important. And then sometimes when you uncover the really big things, the other stuff can kind of work itself out. How to safely build muscle while taking care of your health. Yeah, this is a good one. So it brings me back to the days where, you, you know, we took all of the supplements in the world because yep. we thought we needed to have it to build muscle. And I don't think... 
I don't think living our lifestyle that we live now, I don't think our health is any different. I think mm-hmm. our, well, our health is obviously better, but I don't think our muscle mass is any different. If anything, it's in a better spot right now. Yeah, I feel like every time I've done an in-body scan, my muscle continues to go up um, and my body fat, you know, stays the same or goes down. And, you know, I'm not really trying to lose weight, uh, but I think that it's very possible. I think when, when you focus on whole real protein, you know, we don't, we do supplement with like a really clean protein, you know, here and there, but we don't have a shake every single day, multiple times a day. Like we used to like, you know, bodybuilders or, you know, people in the fitness space will make you think to believe most of the protein that we're eating vast majority is coming from whole foods. You know, if we, if we just have protein sitting in the fridge, whether it's chicken thighs or grilled burgers, those are just in the fridge. And that's something easy to go that if we are in a pinch and we just need something quick, it's there, we can grab it. It's high protein. I definitely would say, you know, still prioritizing your protein, but getting them from whole foods, you're also going to get a lot more nutrients there. It's going to be a lot more satiating and you feel better. Yeah. You just feel better. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's probably honestly one of the most important things, you know, make sure you're prioritizing rest and off days, prioritizing your sleep because we make growth hormone at about 11 to 12 at night. So being in bed, you know, an hour or two before that can really help make sure you're producing enough growth hormone. I see a lot of people spinning their wheels at both ends and really not, not optimizing their sleep. And so that's honestly one of probably the biggest things, especially when it comes to fat loss and muscle gain is, is optimal sleep. And that's also a huge thing for health. So many people neglect it. So yeah, that's a great question. How long is a healthy period? Okay. So typically, and this can range forever. I'd say a healthy range is about three to seven days. Um, you know, less than three days, it might show that you're lacking certain hormones and more than seven days can show that you're in excess or, you know, you're in excess of certain hormones. So, you know, I think that's kind of important to know. It's not everybody needs to be five or everybody needs to be six or every period you have needs to be three or any, you know, like I'd say if you can range between three and seven, that's perfect. Ideally you want to range, you know, like for my example, I typically between five and six days, pretty much every time, you know, and and knowing what your baseline looks like is important too, but being, you know, 10, 11 days, not normal and being like one to two days, although it might be nice, still not, you know, not optimal. Well, let's see, what should we do next? Let's do this one. What are some of the best foods slash things to incorporate when trying to conceive? So I talk a lot about this in my online hormone course. I have a module all on preconception, fertility, and pregnancy. But some of the best foods, honestly, one of the best foods is things that are going to be supportive of your own eggs. So eggs are eating eggs are supportive of your own eggs. Olives are really supportive of your own eggs. Avocados are really supportive of healthy ovaries, healthy hormone production. Um, make sure you're eating enough fat because that's obviously the precursor, but in terms of nutrient density, one of the most nutrient dense things that you can do and pretty much every, there's a whole food through pregnancy book and they talk extensively about this, but eating liver. And again, you, it's weird and it might be different, it's a nutrient powerhouse. You know, our ancestors didn't have prenatals. They just ate real food and they did eat liver. And so they didn't need a prenatal. And I, you know, whenever we do try to conceive, I don't think I'll probably take a standard prenatal. I probably will just take 
desiccated liver. I don't know. That's not medical advice. That's just what I'm going to do probably just because of how incredibly bioavailable it is, how incredibly nutrient dense it is. You know, you can eat it. We grind, I just grind it up a ton and I just put them in little glass containers, probably a few ounces and you know, I separate them in the fridge and then we just add them to ground beef. I added them to a zucchini noodle ground beef mixture that I did this week. And I mean, we couldn't even tell it was in there. We put it in burgers. You can't tell, you know, there's so many ways that you can get it in, but I think that that's honestly one of, you know, one of the best things that you can add in. Okay. No, no, we already, we, we talked about that. Okay. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the dairy one. Which one that one? All right, so thoughts on dairy, uh, specifically Greek yogurt and goat cheese. So personally, we're big fans of high-quality dairy. I'm not a fan of conventional dairy because of obviously how the animals are treated. You know, there's a lot of stress in that environment, and I I don't agree with that, Um, either for nutrient consumption or for obviously the animal's health. Um, I am a really big fan of raw dairy, especially because of how bioavailable the nutrients are, if you have an issue with dairy, you probably won't with raw because all of the nutrients and enzymes that you need are there. So that's what we do. That's just because that's what we do doesn't mean that's what you need to do. But because it works for us, A2 is definitely the best if you are going to do dairy because A2 is much less inflammatory. If you can do organic and grass-fed, that's obviously the best. That's what the raw milk that we have, it's A2. It's organic and grass-fed. You're getting more of the healthy fats. You're getting all the ALA. I love Greek yogurt. It's a staple in my day. I love it. Um, it's a great... It's a great little thing to have on hand, especially in the pinch. Sometimes I'll add my seed cycling things to it. Um, goat cheese is good too. I mean, I have no problem with dairy from goats. I think that I think that that's totally fine. Um, oh goodness! All right, so let's try to answer. How long have we been doing this? Let's answer a few more. Sure. All right, so let's answer this one. <laughs> you think I know those words? <laughs> Hypothalamic amenorrhea with thyroid issues. So whenever your period goes missing, five minutes trying to pronounce that. Hypothalamic amenorrhea. It's not you that can't hard. Even do it. I can do it just fine. Do it again. Hypothalamic amenorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so essentially, that's a period missing, and then if there are thyroid issues, whenever a period goes missing, I'm thinking of stress. And whenever I think of thyroid issues, I'm also thinking of stress. So it doesn't surprise me that these two are accompanying one another because they typically go very much so hand in hand. And when I, and that stress could be anything. It could be overtraining. It could be undereating. It could be low nourishment. I mean, it could be a it could be a co-infection. It could be a multitude of different things. So you have to figure out what that underlying cause of stress is because the fact that those two are together, it's like, ding, 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 stress is the winner. Now we just have to figure out what that stress is and be able to tackle it because otherwise, you know, birth control is going to fix it, nothing. So, you know, it's very easy to fix. It's very possible to fix it. I've worked with many people who have hypothalamic amenorrhea and thyroid issues, but we don't want to just cover the symptom up. We want to get to, you know, the root cause. Is it a bad thing if you do not sweat a lot? even when in a sauna or a sauna blanket, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not sweating, you're not opening up a huge part of your detox pathway. Sweat is a huge way we detox heavy metals. It's a huge way that we detox BPA. It's a big way we detox glyphosate. So if you're not sweating, you're not getting rid of those things as efficiently as you could. And especially if you are increasing your heart rate to the point of being in a sauna that could be, you know, 
150 degrees and you're not sweating, like something is closed. I see this a lot with people who have very underactive metabolisms. Maybe it's from over dieting. Um, you know, if they're super lean, I, I see that a lot where they have issues sweating. I feel like I've also had that issue in the past where when I've gotten really lean, your body doesn't want to sweat that much because it's not a good idea to expend any more calories. So that could be a big reason too. Like your whole body just kind of shuts down its metabolism wise, but otherwise opening up detox pathways is huge. Is it normal to have so many food intolerances, even if even healthy food? She says, um, I have IBS. So kind of like I talked about earlier, you know, food intolerances and things, they're very common, but no, they're not, they're not normal. You shouldn't have intolerances to so many things. That's like your body showing you have a check engine light, you know, Hey, this is bothering us. Like check further why these things are bothering us. You probably have, you know, some underlying gut inflammation, being able to figure out why that is, is really, really important. Um, it's, I am a really big fan of trying to really get to the root of why you are having those intolerances. That's really, really, really important. What's the best route to find root cause without expense of functional medicine? Yeah, that's a good question. And I get it. Functional medicine is really, it is expensive. It's my, my thought it is, my thought is, okay, you pay for it now or you pay for it later. Uh, I'd rather pay for it now, but I also understand that there's some practitioners who obviously charge more, but you know, the, the insurance is a big thing because insurance doesn't really cover preventative things. Insurance more covers immediate care and sick care, conventional care, whatever. Um, you know, I, I get that it's healthy. There's definitely fairly priced people out there, but at the same time, I don't know, I wouldn't look at your health as an expense, I would look at it more as an investment. And, you know, you can find someone that aligns with you, both monetary and energy wise, you know, that's absolutely possible. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of it as an expense. I don't think of, I try not, I try my best as hard as I can to not think of my health as an expense because I want to just be as optimal as possible and stay out of, you know, the conventional model of what we call healthcare, but what truly is sick care. And that is really expensive. You know, even with insurance, sickness down the road does cost. And so if I can avoid that by just maybe paying a little more now, you know, I'm, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to do that. Oh goodness. Okay. There's so many. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to get all to these, but Oh gosh. All right. I'm going to, let's answer one more. Sure. Which one? You pick. I'm not picking. You pick. You pick. <laughs> you pick. Scroll and then like whatever your finger I feel like on. we've answered a lot. Cool. Ready? No, no. No, no. Okay. Well, yeah, whatever. Sure. Do that one. You sure we don't have sure, to? Sure. Go ahead. Do that one. Okay. <laughs> Why is my blood sugar, parentheses, 115, high in the AM and around 95 the rest of the day? So sometimes in the morning, like if you are having coffee, that cortisol in the coffee can spike your blood sugar. You know, the cortisol awakening response potentially can have a spike in your blood sugar. But first thing in the morning, you know, it could, it's either from the coffee, maybe you're running late and you're stressed. Like there's a lot of things that do spike blood sugar. But if you are at 95, I would still say that your blood sugar still is, is quite high. Ideally, I like to have my people's be under 90 and ideally, you know, in the eighties, that's optimal. So, you know, kind of figuring out why there's some degree of insulin resistance happening and being able to kind of figure out, you know, troubleshoot and work back from there. But stress is a big thing. Stress is a big thing for blood sugar. I've seen that, 
with myself. I've seen that with so many people that I work with. So that's definitely something I would look into if you haven't. So, all right, you guys, there were so many, and I'm sorry if we didn't answer yours. I probably will do more Q&As, especially if I can have Nick here helping me, because sometimes it's hard to look down, speak, answer. It's just a lot. So, anyways, thanks for tuning in. I hope that this was helpful. Even if you didn't get your question answered, hopefully these are still things that you can find use from. I know that I, I can, even from, you know, answering them myself. I'm, it's always a good reminder of certain things. So, do you have any closing thoughts? No closing thoughts. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. I know you're so honored. I'll read some more in the future. Yeah, in the future. If you're willing to have me on again. You can come back. Sweet. You can come back. As long as the podcast lets you come back. I know that the people really loved our podcast episode that we did on our health journey. So, yeah, you can come back if you want. You can come back. Okay. You can do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and I will see you here next week. See you guys. Continue to be the alpha of your health.